Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. To close out the first season of the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, I'm going to read a prose poem from my upcoming book of memoir poems that is currently in design. The poem is Four Summers in Florida, 82, 83, 84, 85. The poem is based on my experiences living on my own and working as a computer programmer in Florida for four summers, starting at the age of 15. The title is a nod to my favorite Simple Minds album. I encourage you to explore more of our first season, which includes interviews with poet Olivia Gatwood, artist and curiosity communicator Carrie Byron, poet musician Lisa Marie Simmons, director animator Gaia Alari, and many more. We open up the podcast on a monthly basis to poems submitted to Viewless Wings, read by the authors. You can find more information on our website, viewlesswings.com. Search for us on Submittable to submit your poetry, or check out the links in the show notes. It's now time for a journey to the sunshine state through my teenage eyes, and we'll be back with more in season two, starting in January. Four Summers in Florida, 82, 83, 84, 85. 1982. I spent my teenage summers working in Florida, living alone, programming computers. That was 40 years ago when parents let their sons fly 2,000 miles south from Toronto to Florida to live alone and program computers all summer. I was 15 and couldn't drive, so I brought a hand-me-down bike with saddlebags for carrying groceries. That was 40 years ago when parents let their sons live alone without a car 2,000 miles away. At least my parents did. I can't speak for other parents. The company hired me because of a family connection, but kept me because I was a good computer programmer. I'd be called a coder now. They put me up in a motel in Largo, Florida. I had one week to find a place to live. If you haven't heard of Largo, don't worry. I hadn't either. It's near Tampa. That first night, standing at a payphone in the motel parking lot, under a buzzing streetlight, homesickness enveloping me, I had to wait for my tears to dry before dropping in quarters to call home. I worked nine to five. At night, alone in the motel, with cicadas singing in sticky air, I circled rooms for rent in the classifieds, newsprint staining my fingertips. This was before the internet, and browsers, and phones that weren't payphones, and Craigslist. I learned things. You need to lie about your age when you're 15 and trying to rent a room. But I was tall, and people trusted me. Or I was good at bullshitting, or both. I ended up renting a room in a house owned by an elderly woman with emphysema. She told me it was because she smoked too much. She lived alone and enjoyed having me to talk to. I was alone and enjoyed talking to her too. 
I mostly ate craft dinner while watching TV. I rode the hand-me-down bike everywhere. I rode to work in the Florida sun that turned water into steam and soaked everything I wore. I changed into dry clothes in a cramped bathroom stall at work. I rode in the rain, tucked under the awning of the Circle K, waiting for thunderstorms to pass. I rode at night, my bike's headlamp flickering a path home. Everyone at work was an adult, and they called me the Pac-Man Kid. I was called the Pac-Man Kid because every day after work, I'd stop by an arcade and spend hours playing video games. I, was mostly, I mostly played a tennis game because I was so good. I could play for an hour with one quarter. I guess they should have called me the Tennis Kid. For my 16th birthday, my co-workers got me a Pac-Man cake, and someone took a photo. It's the only photo I have from those four summers in Florida. In the photo, I'm dressed for work. A collared shirt, sleeves rolled up, checkbook in my breast pocket. It must have been the day I went to the bank because of the checkbook. I would ride my bike up to the drive through window to deposit my paycheck. The teller would recognize me and smile. Or perhaps she was smiling because I was on my bike in the drive through lane. 1983. As the second summer approached, my friends talked about going to the police picnic, a festival featuring the band The Police, not police officers. My friends would invite me to come, forgetting I'd be in Florida all summer. I always left before my birthday, with the ink barely dry on my report card. My bike was left behind in Toronto. A Delta 88 took its place, borrowed for the summer. I could say it was a vintage car, but that would be bullshitting. The clunker burned a can of oil for every tank of gas, and on a good day lumbered without stalling. I lived in a motel in a single room with a small fridge and a few elements for boiling things, and a TV for filling the quiet hours. The motel was plain, but across the street there was a public pool where I could escape the humidity and swim laps while local teenagers chatted and laughed. I wanted to chat and laugh too. I kept swimming, though, until it was time to walk back to my room. I went to work and wrote more computer programs. A couple of the engineers once took me to Hooters for lunch. I was probably blushing when ordering. I drove to Orlando one weekend and spent the day in Epcot. I was getting lots of practice being alone. I wore headphones, listening to the Human League stare on my Walkman, flipping the tape over and over while people watching behind sunglasses. My shorts had only had room for one tape. 1984. The company put me up for a week in the house of the CEO's son. The son was a former drug addict who had found God and led evangelical Christian prayer circles. I eavesdropped from upstairs and decided I didn't need to be saved, but I lowered my head tactfully before meals. I lived in a beauty salon that summer. Rather, I lived in a rented room behind the beauty salon. There was a pool outside my room, and the owner's daughter, back from college, sunbathed in a bikini. Her perfectly smooth skin turned a bit darker each day. I may have said hi. I don't remember swimming that summer, unsure of parading my scrawny frame by her college-toned body. The Olympics came and went, 
with Mary Lou Retton's perfect 10 vault to take the gold. I watched Mary Lou when I wasn't sneaking glances at the bikini girl. I had a real work friend now. His name was Dave. I've had several friends named Dave, or at least some are Dave's, others are David's. This one was Dave. He drove a vintage VW Bug. It was vintage in the same way the Delta 88 I drove in 1983 was vintage. His car had a rusted out hole in the floor that was covered by a piece of plywood to keep out downpours. Dave taught me about solenoids. The cassette player in my loner car didn't work. Tapes wouldn't stay in. Turned out it was the solenoid. The Go-Go's and In Excess played a concert that summer. I stood in the pit watching the girls rush the stage for In Excess and the boys rush for the Go-Go's. Back then security was light and you could rush the stage. Driving home, the encore echoed in my ears. 1985, the last summer approached. I just graduated from high school had a fake ID, and watched my new girlfriend head north to be a camp counselor. I hoped she'd still be my girlfriend when I returned. I borrowed the family station wagon and drove south with my mom. I dropped her off in Tennessee for a conference filled with oboists. My mom is an oboist. When we stopped for food, the accents were so thick, we had to order with question marks. I rented a room in a mansion with a Rolls-Royce waxed and gleaming parked out front. The owner lived alone, had two grown sons, and before he came out years ago, a wife. In the room across from me, a recent divorcee was in between lives. She didn't stay long. That was the summer of Live Aid. I took over the living room TV watching Phil Collins take the Concord from London to Philadelphia and Queen perform Radio Gaga. I recorded the concert on my boombox, swapping tapes between sets, then mixing and remixing them. I lost those tapes long ago. In my room, I had a turntable. Instead of quarters and arcades, I spent dollars in record stores. I saved up for vinyl, carefully unwrapping each album, examining the cover, tilting until the sleeve peeked out, hoping for liner notes, then placing side A and lowering the needle. I used my fake ID one Saturday night. I drove across the Howard Franklin Bridge to Tampa to a dance club. I sat at the bar. A pretty woman sat down next to me and said hi. I bullshitted and said I was a college student with a summer job. I offered to buy her a drink and she said no. So I drank it and another one, and one more, and we kept talking until I realized I was in over my head. I said I had to pee, and I hid in the bathroom for a long time, then snuck out and slept in my car. I was too terrified to drive. The windows fogged up from the humidity. There was tapping on the glass and people pointing and laughing. When morning came, I drove in the right lane under the speed limit, checking the mirror for flashing lights. I wonder what would have happened if I'd kept talking to the woman at the bar. And then the summer ended. I drove north. Thank you for enjoying this first season of the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. I look forward to coming back with much more in 2022. The 
Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings. <laughs>